0: Welcome to the Everyday is a New Day podcast and live show, the inspirational show about moving forward and choosing to be more of you, transmuting the self doubt and stepping into courageously aligned confidence in who you uniquely are. My name is Kim O'Neill. I'm a twice-certified transformational confidence coach, Reiki master, best-selling author, and former crime analyst who now helps empathic, heart-centered individuals shatter the noise of self-doubt, find clarity on what self-love really looks like, and the courage to be peacefully grounded in who you've always known you are from the inside out. Join me for the live shows on Facebook and YouTube and visit kimonealcoaching.com for more info. Let's get to it. All right, and welcome everybody. Welcome to the Every Day is a New Day show. I have another amazing guest here with me today. Welcome, Misty. Thank you for having me Kim, I appreciate it. Absolutely, thank you for being here today. And hello and welcome to all of our live viewers tonight. I see Carol is already with us saying hello. Good to see you guys. Hi Carol, love you friends. And as always, yes, definitely comment in the live chat if you're here with us. Even if you're on the replay, feel free to go ahead and post a comment, a takeaway, anything that comes to mind for you. We love interacting with you and we love having these awesome conversations. I was just mentioning to Misty um, how I really believe that tonight's conversation was very divinely timed. Misty Lane actually reached out to me about a year ago. You know, she shared a little bit about her herself with me, and I was like, "Oh yeah, okay." And you know what? This just the timing was not right for me personally. And I recently came across her message again, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, <laughs> yes!" <laughs> and we were able to make it work because so many things are going on. So I'm glad we were able to schedule tonight. Um, you are in for a really nice surprise and hearing her very inspirational story and messages and and just everything that's going to come through tonight. And we have Helene with us as well. So hello, Helene. So, Misty, let, let me just first ask you, how are you doing today?
1: I'm okay. You know, we just went through two hurricanes back to back. There was a lot of damage to my parents' house and a tree fell through my daughter's house while we were in it. But like wow. everything else in my life, I always seem to bounce right back and I'm just going to push through it and get it done. Oh, my goodness. You were, you were in the house when the tree fell on it? Yeah. We had just left the living room to sit down for dinner at the kitchen table, buttered the rolls, was about to say our blessing, and the tree crashed down in the living room. Oh. Yeah. And my daughter all day had been saying, that tree, I'm worried about it because their neighbor's tree fell. And she'd been worried about that tree all day. And sure enough, it can crash it down. And she's due with the baby in 10 weeks. So been a little bit stressful and my parents are living in my house because their house is damaged from the first hurricane. So, but it's okay. You know, we make the best of it. We find the silver lining in everything and we just, we just trek forward. We're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about the silver linings
0: and moving forward, you know, learning from all these experiences and also, you know, allowing ourselves to be present with them too. Right. I mean, lots of emotions and experiences like that for sure. Um, Okay, well so for for everyone who's just getting to meet Missy Lane, I'm going to go ahead and I'm not going to read all of your bio Missy, but you have a really good bio that I'm going to read a good <laughs> portion of it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um just to give everyone and an, you know a, a heads up about where our conversation is going to begin and where we may be headed. So Misty Lane is on a mission to make transparency a game changer in the world. After going from medical school to prison for killing somebody in a car accident behind a horrific crack cocaine addiction, she used writing to pull herself up and save her own life. Her best-selling book, What Goes Up, was written from behind bars while she faced a 40-year prison sentence. And after serving two and a half years in prison, she was able to return to society and rebuild her relationships, life, and career nine years later on the exact same day her wreck on the exact same day her wreck killed somebody her first grandchild was born with severe brain damage from a birth injury immediately she blamed herself and thought it was her punishment from her past Missy realized she was letting her past rob her of her future and was tired of hiding behind shame and guilt. She decided to become transparent about her experiences in hopes of teaching others about overcoming their worst to live their best and about self-forgiveness. And I'm just gonna leave you with, she's now also an award-winning speaker, best-selling author, hosts her own show, Dare to Share with Missy Lane. And she hosts women's empowerment retreats, you know, teaching writing as therapy and so much more. Oh, and, okay, she has a nuclear medicine career. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Love it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, Misty, uh, so... Now, I was reading your, her, your website, and um, I don't want to just first say to everyone with us today, if you're looking for some inspiration, literally just go to Misty's website, mistylane.com, and the very first page, you get a massive dose of inspiration reading your story. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, when I was looking at that and seeing how, you know, how, of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe your accident, car accident happened in 2007?
1: September 18th.
0: Okay. And, and so then when did
1: your book come out? the first time? Uh, May, uh, no, February. I'm trying to think as I pushed the date back. came out while I was at City Summit and City Gala in California. So I think it was in February two years ago. Yeah.
0: Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. That was more recent than I thought. Okay. Yeah. So, so you talk about allowing your past to rob you of your future and tell us a little bit more about that. Like how, how long was that period of time for you and, and, What were the patterns or you know lessons coming up for you in that period?
1: Well, I mean, looking back, there's a lot of things in my past, um, aside from just this one thing that that I didn't even realize was you know like the adultery that my first you know husband it broke my heart, and so there was there was all the future relationships that I was had this wall up because I was just so afraid you know that that was going to happen again. So there's so many things that I I didn't even realize that I was letting steal my joy until I've learned about it later and looked back. But specifically to to the story of the wreck and everything, um, when I got out of prison, which I was very blessed, I was facing 40 years and I only did five. So when I did two and a half actual years in prison, the other I did on paper. When I got home, I started rebuilding my life and I had my nuclear medicine career before I had gotten into med school. So I had that to fall back on. It's just a miracle by the grace of God, because vehicular homicide is a um, violent crime and I would have lost my medical license. But by the fact they reduced my charge to negligent homicide, it allowed me to keep my medical license, which was such a blessing. So I started rebuilding my career and it was hard because I had felonies on my record. I got turned away. I got let go when my background check would come back. I mean, it was really tough for me and it was a very humbling Time to have to kind of crawl my way back up the ladder, um, and I, I spent nine, ten years really trying hard to rebuild my my name and respect and trust around my name in the medical field again. Um, but you know, it took my daughter, my grandbaby's birth, to show me that I was letting all that toxicity rob me, because. I wrote the book in jail, but when I got out and started rebuilding my life, I didn't want to share it with anyone. I didn't want the doctors. I didn't want the coworkers. I didn't want the new friends I had made to know that this person that they know today, um, you know, ever stole from people, ever ran credit cards, ever prostituted, ever did, had abortions, wow. ever did all those horrific things that come with every addiction. Um, I didn't want them to know that person. I was ashamed of her. So I held it all in. And it was making me sick and it was making me toxic. And then when Eliana was born, I realized because I, I had a disconnect because I felt guilty like it was my fault, like you said. So that allowed me to see that I was blaming everything that happened in the future on my past and taking full responsibility. And although I have culpability, and accountability, not everything in the world that goes bad was Misty's fault. Right. So I had to release some of that and I had to learn to let it go. And that's when I decided who else out there is letting something from their past rob them of their future. And that's when I found my mentor, Jason Cisneros, who taught me all about transparency, showed me what it looked like. And then I got that liberating feeling from practicing it. And what it did for me personally was it released everything. And then since then, I've been on a mission to help others get that same trans- that tra- same uh, liberation from transparency. I love that.
0: Um, well, thank you for sharing all that. And as you're talking, I'm, I'm realizing, okay, we jumped, we jumped ahead a little, quite a bit, actually, because, okay. because you, uh, you know, it's it's not like you had this, I'm glad that you referenced it. It's not like you had this crack cocaine addiction, like ever since you were a kid or anything yeah. that, yeah, will you share with us who was the Misty before things started to kind of spiral down?
1: Man, I was feisty. Uh, I was a pretty spoiled rotten. I grew up in a really good middle class family. Um, I thought everything was perfect in my life. Now, looking back, you know, we all discover family secrets and things that go on that, you know, I just didn't realize. But um, I had a really good life. I can't blame it on anybody. You know, it's my fault, my fault alone. But um you know, I grew up in the Texas beauty pageant system. I was a baton twirler in high school. I was academia, you know, on the, on the smart kids club, you know, the, the math and science teams and all that. Um, very motivated. I knew early on, I wanted to be a surgeon. It's all I ever wanted to be, um, or a pilot, one of those two, but definitely on the surgery track. And so I worked really hard for that. Um, you know, I thought I knew who I was and, I think I did for a brief moment. I think I was very on top of of myself. It wasn't until my first marriage, um, my husband, we met in college. And, you know, when you're drinking in college, it's all fun and games. But as you grow older and start having kids, you know, and that same behavior doesn't stop, then you got to recognize there's a problem. So my husband was an alcoholic, a full-blown alcoholic, and he was just discovering that he was, you know, we were young. Um, a lot of mental abuse that comes with that. A lot of, um, personal things that I would take, you know, comments that I would take to heart because being a beauty, beauty pageant, you know, growing up in Texas, it's all about your parents, how you look, you you have to have that constant validation and to hurt me, he knew exactly what the things to say to me, you know, and, um, I allowed that in my life and allowed him to start chipping away at my self-esteem. Um, But again, it's not his fault. It was mine for allowing it. You know, you have to take accountability for those choices you make. It wasn't until later in life uh, when the domestic abuse hit that, oh, that was what that's what ruined Misty. That's what ruined me. I allowed a man to beat me, lock me up, do you know, treat me horrible. And he used the cocaine and it took being in jail, physically getting away from him to even realize that I wasn't even me anymore. I didn't know what kind of food I liked. I didn't know what kind of music I liked because when you're in an abusive relationship, you don't have you don't have that choice. Everything's dictated to you. So I had to rediscover and I'm really thankful honestly for my time in jail because it gave me time to really focus on me and find out who I am because I was lost for 10 years. I was lost for 10 long years. And Not even about becoming who you thought you were, but about becoming the person you wanted to be in the future, you know? And I I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what I wanted anymore. So um, it was a whole self-discovery thing. What led you to start doing the crack? Well, I always preface this by saying, again, it's my choice and my choice alone I can't blame anyone, but I can tell you, after a ten-year marriage, I found out right after I'd gotten into medical school, I found out that my husband um, had gotten another one pregnant, and I had no idea he was cheating on me. I was very, you know, naive and young, and you know all that in love, and um, it just devastated me. It completely broke me. It, it in so many ways, but in, in you know my self-esteem, I think mainly. You know, when, like I said, going back to the whole pageantry thing, you have this this certain thing to you know, this certain appearance you have to you know, whether whether it's fine on the inside or not on the outside. It, you know, down in the south, you know, we have to look the part, right? We pretend that our marriage is so wonderful, but it's really just a shambles. Um, I just got really vulnerable after we divorced and I started dating whoever would validate me and make me feel pretty, make me feel smart, make me feel like it wasn't my fault because I blame myself, like I wasn't good enough. That's why he cheated. And I just started kind of hanging out with the kind of guy that I normally wouldn't have. And a few months into that relationship, he introduced me to my first line of cocaine. And um, we were on our way to a Dallas Cowboys football game, pulled over on the side of the road did a line. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, just try it. I'm like, I don't do drugs. And he's like, just try it. And didn't even think about it. Just tried it. And that was it for me. That, that escape that it provided was my new outlet. And I tell people all the time, like when it's, especially like when I speak to college age people, I tell them, you have to respect your moments of choice because that becomes your lifetime decision. You have to take the time to think that thought through before you do it, because there's always a consequence to everything. And how old were you when you took up? Two years old. A mother of two. In medical school, I knew better. I knew better. Um, I just was at a point where I didn't care, Kim. I was vulnerable. I was hurt. You know, it's it's yeah, it's his fault for hurting me, but it's my fault for choosing what I chose, and then to continue it. I got addicted to it so quickly. I never smoked. I wasn't the party girl in school. I was always the good girl. And, um, you know, when people say it doesn't take much to get addicted, I mean, that's the truth. I was addicted very, very quickly. That progressed into a crack cocaine addiction. And that's where it really went downhill for me. I managed the snorting the coke for probably a good. Seven months or so, Um, and that's when I was introduced to crack. And once I got the technique because I didn't know how to smoke, once I figured out how to smoke this stuff, you know, I was a full blown crack addict and it took maybe four or five months before I was losing my job. I was losing everything. Wow. It takes you okay. down fast. I mean, I was sleeping on the floor in the bathroom at the hospital cause I'd been up for three days in a row. You know, I was calling in all the time. It was an obvious change in my personality. Everybody saw it. Uh, my kids were in third grade and kindergarten at the time and um talking back with them now you know, I'd lock myself in the room to get high. And I, they'd asked me, you know, they thought that I didn't want to be with them or they thought I was sick or, you know, they never thought drugs because I wasn't that kind of person. It just breaks my heart looking back on it, you know, um, what they must've gone through to have such a great mom that was a PTA mom, a soccer mom, very involved in their life to all of a sudden their mom's behind a closed door all the time. And I don't talk to them and, you know, it's hard, but that's what drugs do to you. If you give them the chance, they take well, everything from you. It's it, I'm glad that you
0: mentioned, you know, the, how the timeline of it, because I was going to ask, I, I was thinking maybe it was a few years or whatever, but it sounds like things like you said, yeah, started to fall apart pretty quickly. Okay. And I know transparency is a part of your message today, but I, I, what, what did transparency look like back then? Even though people could tell something was happening
1: Well, I didn't even know. I I mean, I couldn't be honest with myself. And it meant to myself that I had a problem. You know, you always think you're stronger than that. You know, I can quit. I don't know how many times I saw my dope dealer and said, oh, hook me up good because this is my last night. You know, I'm quitting. How many of those last nights you have? And um you know, you have to be honest with yourself before you can even face anyone else. And that's a, that's a personal journey. And that's where the hardest work is. But once we can achieve that and we overcome that first battle, then we have strength to tackle all the other battles ahead of us. So at what point then did the car accident happen? So the car accident happened about, um, What was, well, September 18, 2007. It was my 10th year. I was on, you know, off and on of the drugs. I wasn't, you know, on the streets 10 10 solid years. I mean, I'd work a few months, do real good, relapse. One time I went eight months and then relapse like that. Okay. Um, But it happened when I had gone to jail. My parent, me and my husband had gone to jail. My parents bonded me out and went back. The cops had come. full transparency. The cops had come and busted our door down because I had written a hot check at a casino and they'd been running our picture on the TV and they busted our door down and took us to jail. And he was already had so many strikes against him. He wasn't going anywhere, but I had a bond on me. So my parents bonded me out and I thought I was strong enough to go face the bondsman the next two days later, because you sleep, you know, once you're high, you have to sleep for like two or three days just to catch up. And um, so once I came out of my little crack coma, I had to go meet my bondsman to sign paperwork. And I thought I was strong enough to do it. I never, you know, because you come out with all intentions that you're going to do good. Every time we say we want to do good, or at least for me, I meant it. I thought I could. It's just we, I didn't have the power to it, you know. So I went back to my house and. um when they took us to jail, they had left all the dope, the pipes, the lighters right there on the bathroom counter, just left it sitting there. And I mean, without any hesitation, I just picked it up and got high. Well, that started that journey. And that went on for four days, never went back to my mom's house. Um, and on that fourth day of being out there getting high on the run um, is when the two girls decided that I was an easy target, that they, that they were going to steal my car. They attacked me. And that's how the wreck happened. Okay. I wasn't expecting that part.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. I picked up these two prostitutes because, you know, on the streets, when you're in a new place and and you look like me, nobody's going to sell crack cocaine to me. I mean, I just don't look like your typical, you know, whatever you're supposed to look like, nobody would sell to me. So I always had to find somebody that could get it for me. And A lot of times it was a prostitute because you could just give them a little bit of it for their time or whatever and then blah, blah, blah. So I picked these two girls up and I actually treated them very nice. I gave them makeup, hygiene stuff, you know, and rode around with them a little while. We got high the first night. The next morning is when I went back out and um, saw one of them walk on the street, picked her up. We got the other one and we were going to get dope again. They thought I had all this money. I was writing hot checks to get money, like $20 at a time, every time. And so I had nothing, you know, I'd been out there for days. And so they decided they were going to attack me and steal my car. And one of them punched me in the face. The other one jumped out of the car. And the only way I knew to get out of the neighborhood was to spin around and go back out the same road. As I passed back by them, they threw something at my car and I swerved and started sliding sideways down the road. And I hit a parked vehicle that hit a lady in her yard and knocked her into the house and killed her. Oh, my goodness. uh, I couldn't have stopped my car if I'd have seen her. I mean, I didn't see her. I never, never did. Um, but, you know, that's something I have to live with every day. That survivor's guilt for being the one that was in the wrong, but the one that lived. Because she was innocent. She did nothing wrong. So, um yeah it's it's hard but i was doing the wrong things out there with the wrong people that's why we have to be really careful about who we surround ourselves with and the kind of company we keep because um even if you know even if somebody's not doing something so wrong you you get guilt by association you know with who you're around be careful Misty, thank you so much. I mean
0: we're we're just we're just getting started. But thank you so much for um, for being so transparent, and open and brave and courageous. And and it's uh, it's noticeable that you know it brings up emotion for you, but I also see um, you've really stepped into that space of <sighs> being aligned with being transparent. And I, I just want to say, I just, there's so much liberation and I know, you know, this, there's so much liberation that comes through hearing your story. So there's like this part of me going, ah, did we go too far? Cause I don't want to make you sad. No, I I don't hold anything back. Okay, no. and I and I I so I've seen Misty's show, and I see that she doesn't hold anything back, and that's what also no. was like. Okay, Kim, it's gonna be okay to you know to just yeah. go there. So thank you for
1: going there with us. Um, Absolutely, because it's you know what, Kim, it's not about me. I used to be ashamed, like I used to be scared to share my story because I was afraid of the judgment. People were gonna think, oh gosh, she go, oh, she did crack, she killed somebody, and that was because it was about me. It was still about me, and then I was taught coaches and mentors and I and I observed and learned that it's not about me. I've already survived it. I, I'm an authority on it now, you know, and that's pretty kind of cool to know I'm authority on some stuff, you know, but I've already survived it. So now it's about the person that's still in it. It's about the message. So once I removed me out of the picture, then I have I have no fear of judgment because I don't care if anybody judges me because the message is more important than that. And so that's, you know, I hold nothing back. Well, and it's it's not
0: like you just experienced that and then you're not doing anything with it.
1: You you you're
0: learning from it. You're helping to teach and inspire others, and mm-hmm. and that to me is is a big portion of the gift. And not to diminish at all, you know what happened with the, the lady and her family and everyone else who was impacted as a result of that. But um, with you, with you and your story and your 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 you know everything involving you in this story. Um, that's a huge gift because there's tons of people who may think that, wait, what? You know, my life didn't used to look like this. And now look where I'm at. And they may just feel that all hope is lost and it ends. It may end there for them. They either stay in that for the rest of their life or knock on wood, God forbid, they maybe do something to, you know, I, I don't know, whatever. But that's where, in their mind, their story may end. And you're here to say that, no, it's not where it ends. And, and so, what else comes up for you when you just, when you, um, Think about, you know, what you're doing today with sharing your story and inspiring and and helping others.
1: Well, first, let me just quickly say, and then I'll answer that. Um, You know, it's about to um, knowing that you can overcome your worst, Kim, to live your best, you know, and that you have to get through it. And that's that's really what it's about. But um, what else comes up for me that I would like to share is that this this is domestic violence month and out of all the things i went through and i've been through a lot of things and you know looking back on it like i just say things and i'll drop something and people around me be like what would you just say and to me it's nothing because i'm so far out of it now right you know 13 years out of it now so to me i I don't feel the like that i'm not in it you know so Uh i don't look at it that way but um to hear you read my bio, like I tear up to hear someone else read it. You know what I mean? For me to say, I don't know. It's just, it's a weird thing with me, but being Domestic Violence Month, I do want to share out of everything I went through, the hardest, the hardest, deepest scars have been from that. I mean, it hurts. Words hurt people. You know, I can get over the physical violence. I can get over the broken bones, the broken nose, my skin will heal. But that emotional stuff, it's deep. It's deep. And it, and it takes a lot of work to find self-love and self-worth to come out from something like that. And um, anybody out there that's listening and you're in an abusive relationship, you have to know that you're worth so much more, so much more. You got to stop letting people manipulate you. You have to not let them get in your head because they use every insecurity you have. So in order to fight that, what you have to do is you have to find you inside and be who you are as strong as you can be so that they don't have anything to, to, to prey on. Yes, yeah.
0: yes, yes, yes. Um, I want to take a quick look at the comments here and just make sure uh yeah, Helene is saying Missy Lane's book is awesome, and one should read it.
1: <laughs> you,
0: and good to see that we have Linder here with us tonight. Awesome, awesome, and uh, let's see here, who's Linda? And, Linda, who? L- Lin- Linder, yeah, Lin- Linda Linder Lee. Um, she didn't comment, but Helene I think said hello to her. So h- thank you for oh, saying okay. to her. hello to. I'm getting every all the words mixed up now. Gotcha. Um, Carol is also saying emotional scars hurt more than broken bones. Broken bones will heal. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah. And Carol's also saying you're an amazing person, Miss Elaine. So Thank I you. agree. I agree. I just met, met her and I agree. Um, <laughs> I So let's talk a little bit more about finding that inner strength to be mm-hmm. able to step away from that abusive situation, whatever whatever form it may be for the person. Um you talked about prison being, uh, I mean, in, in one way, you could look at it as, oh, it's a rock bottom, you know, place to be in. And yet you mentioned it gave you that space, that time to, mm-hmm. it sounds like reflect and yeah. start to, you know, what, what helped you get to that space of, of finding inner strength and recognizing
1: your own value? I think it's after I found out that i was facing a 40 year prison sentence i didn't have any will to even live like i've never been suicidal but every breath i took i felt was on borrowed time i felt guilty for it and so i didn't have a will to really live like i thought what what's the purpose i'm not going to see my kids for 40 years i've ruined their lives you know i didn't care about myself because i was just coming out of this Horrific addiction and abuse. That, you know, I didn't even care about me anymore. So, um, I think it was just finding the strength every day to wake up and and breathe, just to make it through the day, until I could find something that made me want to live to the next day. You know, and then not having any help because. When I did get put in there, they put the two girls that assaulted me in there with me, which was like a huge, I should have sued them for it. But anyway, Ooh, wow. I ended up, it's a really bizarre thing. But one of them, the one that actually punched me in the face, um, she was a product of her environment. Her mom started prostituting her out when she was 12 years old to support her own crack habit. And so she was just doing what she knew to survive on the streets. A beautiful, beautiful girl. Um I actually started reading scripture to her. She came to me and apologized and said how sorry she was and felt awful. She wrote a letter to the judge. She, she really had remorse. We started reading the Bible together. I was trying to help her. I actually helped her get her GED, um, helped her study for it and get her GED. And after I got out of prison years later, I heard through the grapevine, she had overdosed and died, which breaks my heart because she was a beautiful young girl. Um, but anyway, um, So it's about, like, I had no outlet. They didn't send me to any kind of therapy. I mean, I just killed someone. I'm facing 40 years. No psychologist, no counselor, no help, no antidepressant, nothing. Took my dad, who was on hospice in a wheelchair, to drive three hours with his oxygen, go into the sheriff's department and say, either get my daughter some help or I'm taking this to the media. And so they finally started taking me on a van once or twice a week to see a counselor. So this was months and months and months were going by, right? So I had no outlet. So I just started writing. It's actually my oldest daughter who I had just missed her high school graduation because I was incarcerated. She said, Mama, you got to stop beating yourself up. It was an accident. You've got to live. You've got to live. And she said, write down everything that keeps you up at night and pray on it and give it away. So I did that and I flushed it down the the toilet in jail. You know, I didn't want anybody to get a hold of my stuff. And um, it was a release for me. And I thought, okay, that felt pretty good. So I started writing. And through that writing is where I learned who I was. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of pages. It took a lot of tears because I was so angry. I was angry at the world. But it's a process we have to go through, Kim. And there's no shortcut. Like if you want to, if you want to get to the other side of the mountain, like I don't care, you can take a helicopter, you can climb over it, you can do whatever, but there's always still a mountain there as Simon Sinek says, and there's always still a mountain there. So whatever you do to get to the other side, you still have to pass through the work. You have to do that. And that's, that's, where my work was. I spent seven months writing my book and that was my work. That was the therapy that saved my life. Just getting to know me, forgiving myself, learning to face my fears. And that I actually have a chapter in my book called Cope Equals Hope, C-O-P-E, Cope. Okay. And it's confront your fears, um, optimize on the experiences you live lived through, push through the pain, and then embrace the beautiful person you are on the other side of it.
0: Yeah. What gave what gave you the courage to start? Like you said earlier, you wrote the book, and then it's like, oh, I don't want to share it with anybody. <laughs> what gave you that courage to share it?
1: When Eliana was born, and I realized that I, what, I, what was happening is, I realized that um, what I thought was that God was punishing me through her, you know, mm. and I, I had to stop and say, first of all, God doesn't work like that. He loves people. Excuse me. And second of all, I remembered when I was in a rehab one time, because I was in several, they told us that only 3% of us would ever make it through addiction. Those are pretty slim numbers. Oh. And I was standing there nine years clean and sober. And I thought to myself, wow, you're a 3%er, Misty. You're pretty damn, sorry, pretty dang strong. You know, you're standing here a 3%er. And it was at that moment when I realized that God brought me through everything he did for a reason. And I always tell people, I think what makes, what sets people apart in life is what they do with the pain. Either you waste your pain and you sit in it and you feel sorry for yourself, or you stand up and you show someone else how to walk through the other side as you made it through, that they can survive. And so that's kind of what prompted me to get up and do it because I I was tired of hiding from the person I was. I knew I wasn't that person anymore. I knew I had changed my ways. And so I was tired of trying to hide that person. You know, if people couldn't love me for who I was through the other side of it and see the good in me, then I realized I didn't need those people in my life because those were negative people. And it was kind of just like this whole like awakening for me. What does self-love look like for you today? Self-love looks like knowing, looking in the mirror and knowing that I'm not perfect and being okay with it. Being okay with it. You know, um, not having to be a perfectionist anymore, not having to look a certain way, not having to please everybody around me not having to have validation, but just kind of being okay with who I am. Not that there's, not that there's things I want to work on. Of course, I want to work on my weight. I want to work on, you know, my time management. There's things I want to work on, but it's okay to love me as I am. Yeah. And when you look,
0: you know, when you start to identify what those silver linings are in your story and, and everything that's come since then, Mm -hmm. how do you define that? What are the silver linings?
1: Oh, my goodness. There's so many. <laughs> um, First and foremost, I'll say that the 10 years of, I don't know if I can cuss on your show, but the 10 years ahead. It's, okay. it's okay. Go the ahead. 10 years of hell that I drug my kids through mm. has made them strong, resilient. They can, man, my kids are like the best. I'm so blessed because they've been able to tackle anything thrown their way. My oldest daughter has already lost a child. We buried my grandbaby this year in January. She was four. And Lauren, is the bravest, most courageous woman I've ever known. And I mean, I made her, you know, but I think that the crap she had to live through made her and prepared her for everything she was going to have to face. Um, My other daughter, Amber, just got her doctorate and she does anesthesia. She's got so, so much resilience and determination. And I think a lot of that is also from having to live through things and be independent and do what she had to do. Now, my son, he was born nine years later, so he didn't know me the same, like, okay, they, they knew me little and then lost me. You okay. know, Austin didn't have me little, but he had me later in life. So this, it's a different thing for them. How interesting. With him, he's just so optimistic. I think he's learned from me to be optimistic, and he sees the world as, like, positive and hopeful, you know, when a lot of kids his age, he's 20 um, all they hear is the doom and gloom, you know? And so I think I'm really proud of the fact that the silver lining in the 10 years of hell is that it's made some really great, great kids. The other silver lining is the lady that I killed. Um, I found out through a very bizarre story. Um, The bars in my jail cell opened up in the middle of the night and a lady came into my cell crying. She was drunk talking about how her wife had been killed um, no, her wife had died and she had cancer and she was very sick and she had been suicidal and she was crying because she said, I'm glad that she's gone because she's no longer in pain, but I really miss her. I really miss my wife. And I stayed up and talked to her. I gave her a t-shirt to wear and some food from commissary. You know, I listened to her for a couple hours and then we went to bed and the next morning we got up and went to breakfast where everybody is in general population Everybody's pointing at us, hollering, whispering, screaming. I'm not hollering, screaming, whispering and pointing at us. We look at each other like, who are you? Are we supposed to fight? What's going on here? You know. And somebody hollered out, that's the bitch that killed your wife. Oh, my God. And she looked at me. She said, you killed her? And I said, she had cancer? Oh, my God. And she said, but you're a nice lady. And I said, she had cancer? She was suicidal? What? So when it happened, remember I'm not from this town, those two girls put the word on the street that I ran her down in a drug deal because they didn't want it coming back on them. So that's what everyone thought, that I ran this lady down over a bad drug deal. lady had nothing to do with it. She didn't, I didn't mean, she was just standing in her yard. was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So what it did is it allowed this woman to get closure on her wife's death and it gave me, Kim, that tiny, one shred of hope that I needed to find something positive because I had to have something to live for. Like I said, I couldn't live for me yet. So I had to have something. And my Christian upbringing, the way my belief system is, is that if you commit suicide, your soul doesn't go to heaven. And, you know, I just had to tell myself, you just saved that lady's soul. She was trying to kill herself three times. She was in magic pain. So that was my silver lining. That was my, okay, God is using this. There's something good here. We can, we can work with this. We can build on this now, you know? And um, Your rock bottom was an answer to her prayers. It was an answer to her prayers, and it saved me from domestic abuse. I either would have killed him or he would have killed me, one or the other. Um, it saved me in a lot of ways. It saved a lot of other people, and I hate this. You know she had to go the way it happened but it was a blessing for me It was a huge blessing for me and it saved my life what uh, oh, oh, okay wow <laughs> um
0: missy what, so what ha- what happened when um you and the the lady's wife were sitting there and having this realization missy thank you so much i'm so sorry uh... <laughs> it's okay
1: i'm good it's good it's happy tears you well, know I'm really proud I'm proud today of where I am. And um, before I got out of prison, I said to myself, no matter what, not that I would ever forget it, but I wanted some kind of symbols, some kind of symbol for me to see every day to say I'm never going back for her. I'm never going back. And so I got this tattoo. It's an infinity sun. Okay. Yeah. It's made out of mascara, black ink and melted checkers pieces because it is a jailhouse tattoo. Wow. And, um, <laughs> That's my promise to her, that no matter what, I'm never going back, and that I'm going to save as many people as I can. And so that's what I do every day. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) it's an amazing story, Misty, Um, (laughs) and one that I think really helps people see how things can look one way on the outside and be completely different underneath the surface and not knowing what's going on within people's, you know, hopes and desires and prayers and all of that. And also knowing that there's a bigger picture at play than what most of us can usually see. And um, I, I love the perspective you have about this. So so what happens then when you're there, you know, in uh, you're there in, in prison and sitting next to the lady's wife and everyone's, you know, now, pointing out to you guys that
1: you were that person. What was her reaction? Well, she was like, she said, you're a really nice lady. You you gave me food, you know, and you talked to me and see God set that up for me. Yeah. Because had she, first of all, she should have never been in my unit because I'd already gotten threats from her family that they were going to come kill me with a hot shot, which is a shot of heroin. I would sleep in a ball. As far away from that bar, because I was too scared someone would reach in and stick a needle in any part of my body. I mean, I was petrified. I would sleep in a ball as small as I could be, as far away as I could, because I lived in fear for nine months in that jail. And um, she should have never been in there, much less in my cell. So the fact she came in the middle of the night when nobody else was awake to tell her who I was ahead of time, she got to know me, the real person, you know, without the prejudgment. And I think God set that up because she needed the closure and I needed that shred of hope. I needed that silver lining. So, I mean, it has to be God. What else could that be? You know, what else? And the same thing with my, the same thing with Eliana. I married my first husband, my two girls, dad on September 18th. The wreck happened on September 18th. And my first grandbaby was born on September 18th. I mean, if that's not something God planned, you know, and, and or used to an advantage, because even though she's gone, she taught us so many things in life. She taught us patience. She brought awareness to the disabled community that I never had. She taught me how to not be so judgmental of people. I mean, you know, it, there's just so much. There's so much here. But like you were saying earlier, you know, it's not that you have to look at the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah it's a mindset. You have blessings around you every day. All of us do. We have to be taught to see them because we're so negative. We're in such a hurry all the time. You hear the the saying, slow down and smell the roses, right? Well, it's the truth. You fly by flowers every day, but have you, do you really slow down and smell them? Do you really stop and look at them? I mean, you know, it's the truth. And We have to train our brain to be positive instead of negative and look for those blessings because they're there. We have to look for the silver lining in every situation because it's there. And then you have to choose to go that road. Right.
0: I think there's this assumption, and, and it can be so easy for all of us to to fa- you know fall into this. But there's this assumption that things, when things are good, this is how they always stay, and when things change, uh oh, something's bad, something's wrong that was never supposed to happen, and. What if it's to cat you know the gift in that, the silver lining is to catapult you towards your next growth moment, your next evolution, so you can continue to help others. And that's exact I mean, Misty, your story. Hello, that's what that is right there.
1: <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying, you know, it's tough, it's hard. I I want to get on the top of a mountain and scream it to the world. You know, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed anymore at all because right. I really am on a mission to teach people how to be transparent because it is a life changer. It's a game changer. And it's hard because, you know, you feel like, oh, you got a thousand views. You feel like you're really doing something. But a thousand views on Facebook is nothing compared to the world. You know, yeah, I right. scream it because I'm passionate about it, you know, because I, I know I know how toxic I was in the past. And I also know the freedom it gives you when you can let it out, not just to other people, Kim, but when you can look in the mirror and say to yourself, I forgive you. I forgive you. Man, you know, it took me years to say that to myself. Years, you know, and and I want to help people do that because it changes your life when you do it. (sighs) <sighs> we, you know, I,
0: in, in on Facebook here, I have a group, the Everyday is a New Day group. And I posed the question this week, you know, question of the week. Um, what, did, what did I actually say? I, I said something like, um, what do you do when you make a mistake? And everyone had a different response to it. And, you know, they're all right. They're, you know, they all make sense. Um, but what is your take on what a mistake is?
1: Well, I kind of see things in life like therapy. You know, um, if you've done something, you've made a, a poor choice, but you learn from it and others have benefited from your poor choice, then I don't consider that a mistake. You know, I, I think the mistake is when you don't choose to use it to help other people and you let them suffer. You know, if you have information that will prevent someone else from suffering and you don't use it, that's the mistake.
0: I, I'm on the same page with you there. I completely agree to me. Nothing yeah. is a mistake. Um, and the the turning point of what flips it is, yes, taking time to learn from it and do something with it. So I completely agree. Um, Missy, is there a you do a lot of talking. you have your own show um yourself, and you help a lot of other people. but I just want to know, is there a question that you wish people would ask you
1: more? Um Yeah, I I wish people would ask me more about um, how they can like people are really interested in my story, but I'd rather turn it on them, like uh, how they can start to write their story or, you know, people like ask me how I did it instead of just hearing about it. You know, like show me how, you know, help me. How do I make what's my first step to do? You know, that kind of thing. Misty, what's the first step to do? First step to do is to confront your fears and confronting your fears means writing down on a piece of paper, all those things you're ashamed of because they have to be dealt with. Every one of them, they have to be dealt with. Yeah.
0: Um, Thank you for sharing that. And I, I, you know, as we were going tonight, I I used to, uh, you know, to try to toggle this line a little bit more of not going too deep into the story and yet sharing it, but not fully sharing it and blah, blah. And I've kind of let some of that go. And um, as we were in tonight's, conversation going wow we're really going deep into the story and I know there's so much here so thank you for being willing to still share the story and and all those different avenues of it um and also opening it up for you know I, th- I think that we did share some of those how-tos of what you know what you did yeah. and what helped and um and the perspective so thank you for that and let's let me go ahead and show up on the screen here here is your book What what goes up Overcoming Your Worst, To Live Your Best. And is this uh, the book that tells your story or tell us more about what?
1: Yeah. Yes, this is actually the book. I actually wrote it in jail. Um, Now, when I first wrote it, it was full of anger and and blame. Uh, When I decided nine years later to come out with it and not be ashamed anymore, I rewrote the book out of a place of accountability and forgiveness. So it is actually kind of a workbook. And Helene's read it. She, She can comment on it. At the end of each chapter, I actually go into how to apply it to your life. So it was more like of a working kind of, you know, like a, not a workbook per se, but more like a a working story.
0: Okay. Like a to do, like, like, yeah, like this is
1: how you can apply this to your life. Nice. And and at the end of each chapter, the summary, like, you know, the domestic abuse, you know, what, so what I'm trying to say here is this, you know, it summarizes. Yeah. Wonderful. And
0: I want to just take a quick look at the chat again. We have here, you all have been chiming in so much. Thanks for being with <laughs> us tonight. Um, yeah. Helene's saying, thank you, Miss Elaine, for being a survivor for all you've been through. And Carol is saying, waking waking up is knowing that you will not receive another beating. Who, that's a powerful statement, Carol. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and Helene's acknowledging the self-love aspect. When you love yourself, you learn to grow more of you. Then you will impact your life, and have help from people who care. And she, yeah, she resonates with that. Wonderful. And Missy, will you remind everyone where can they go to connect with you beyond today's conversation?
1: Well, MistyLane.com is my website. It is fixing to have a complete overhaul. I've just hired my. New person for that. And, um, but I'm all over social media. It's really easy to find me. Everything's Misty Lane. My email's is Misty Lane at MistyLane.com. Facebook is Misty Lane. Instagram is Misty underscore Lane. I mean, I'm, it's hard to not find me actually.
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's good. You did, did a great job of that. And I went ahead and just put that into the chat here, um, for our live viewers. And I'm going to spell that out. So it's, MistyLane.com, which is M-I-S-T-I-E-L-A-Y-N-E.com.
1: MistyLane.com. That's actually my first and middle name. And growing up, my family always called me Foggy Road. And I never questioned it. I never thought anything of it. I was a kid, right? I was in eighth grade and it finally dawned on me. a Misty Lane is a Foggy Road. Yeah. I never even questioned, why? Daddy, why you called me that? I just let them call me that, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, that's funny. Um, wonderful. Misty, I, I'm sure we could talk about so many more things, but you've, you've given us so much just transparency, but I also want to say hope and inspiration and a fantastic story that really highlights that even when things look dark, things look one way on the outer surface, there's so much more at play. And I guess maybe I want to end with, um, You know, how does your faith or just faith in general, how does that factor into you being able to move forward?
1: Well, it was everything for me. You know, like I said, I didn't believe in myself. So I knew somebody else did because he saved me through all of that. The situations I put myself in out there on the streets, um, you know, I should have died a million times over and, and he saved me for a reason. So it's about knowing that and giving him full credit for that, you know? Yeah. Well,
0: and for you doing the work because it's not always so easy. So, yeah, I
1: probably yeah. Go ahead. I do want to say that to people that you know don't depend on. And I'm not talking about your spiritual love. I'm talking about physical love here. Don't depend on anyone else because no one else is going to save you. No one else is going to love you enough. You know, um, your family loves you. Your spouse, your parents, your kids—they love you but they can't love you through it. You have to love you. It has to come from you. So all of us have so much power and inner strength that we don't even know. We just need to tap into it and find it because at the end of the day, we have to pull ourselves up. Absolutely. Well, and um,
0: so we're going to leave it there. Missy. thank you so much for being here tonight and sharing your story. Uh, just all, all of it, all of that, uh, what you shared today. Um, and thank you to our live viewers. Let us know what you're taking away from today's conversation. Helene is saying, thank you, Kim O'Neill for being there for all of us. We appreciate you. Thank you, Kim O'Neill. Thank you, Helene. I appreciate you saying that. Um, she is very sweet. Yes. And Carol's saying, thank you for a great show. Awesome. And you, ladies, absolutely. Uh, and uh, just remind everyone that's with us today. Remember, every day is always a new day, and that's self love. I love that that is part of the story. Um, you know, I love that you mentioned that. I mean, to me, that's a big piece of what can help you start to experience that new day and taking that mindful approach. We didn't really talk about presence, but I know that that's also part of what you teach other people about is is you know taking that time to have self love, love yourself in the present moment not in the past the future whatever in this moment and just like you said not 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 needing that validation or other people to come in and give you that love that you can give yourself because that makes a huge difference and really opens up that space for that new day experience as well so absolutely Wonderful. Well, thank you to everyone for being here. Let me know what you're taking away from the conversation. And we're going to be back again next week with another Every Day is a New Day show episode as well as another Rise and Shine conversation happening tomorrow morning right here on Facebook on the Every Day is a New Day show and coaching page. Have an amazing day, everybody. Misty, stay right there. Okay,
1: we'll see you all very soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you all for being here.
0: And that's today's show, So. What are you taking away? Let me know down in the comments, wherever you listened or watched today's episode and connect with me on Facebook on the everyday is a new day show and coaching page, or visit Kim for more info. Remember every day is always a new day. Wherever you are today does not have to be where you are tomorrow. There is always hope and you will always be amazing.
1: I'll see you next time.